0: You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories Classic episode.
1: This podcast is part of the Darkness Collective. Visit darkness.org to discover more shows like this one. The Darkness Awaits.
0: Hey guys, and welcome to episode 137 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry.
3: Hey guys, what's going on?
0: Who are you? Oh, I'm Tracy. Okay. Just want to make sure. And that's Ninja. (laughs) And that's Ninja. You didn't want to be left out. We got a cool story going on tonight, and I can't wait to get into it, as Always, though, we want to first start by thanking all of our military and civil servants all over the world. Thank you for what you do, no matter which country you're in.
3: Yes, and we would like to thank you for that as well, and also say um, our prayers with are with New Zealand. Um, it was such a horrible tragedy there, and it's just heartbreaking. And, you know, be with those. We pray for those, the first responders over there that, you know had to I don't know I just don't even know what to say anymore this world makes me sad and I just it just really takes a strong individual and you guys that's why we praise you every day and thank you every day for your for your service for having to deal with all that stuff so yeah,
0: it's got to be tough to walk up on a situation mm. where forty nine people especially in in your country because yeah gun violence is not something you have to deal with very often all right and to just have something like that happen. It's just so completely out of the norm that I, I was reading that a lot of, they didn't even know how to handle a lot of it over there because that's just not something they had to deal with. Yeah,
3: yeah. So
0: thanks it, to you guys.
3: Yeah, thank you guys. We're praying for you.
0: I also want to send out some prayers to uh Nebraska. They're having some major, major flooding, a lot yeah. of people losing homes, and um, it's it's horrible up there. So shout out to you guys. Yeah,
3: praying for you guys as well.
0: As we do every week, we talk about the – suicide hotline and and suffering with depression and that's not going to be any different this week it's just with this week it's a little um, harder to talk about because we lost a member of our group and um, it's just tough when you got to talk about something that you constantly are trying to help prevent and so we wanted to say a big rest in peace to Pippi Nordenstam from Sweden Um, we've got to know Pippi fairly well over the past uh, 10, 12 months. She's been a member of the group since May. And that's when I first started talking to her. And like I said, I won't get into a lot of the private discussions we've had, but um, this one's, there's no way to deal with a suicide that's not painful. This one just hit a little closer to home just because of the conversations that we did have. And I will say that one of the reasons that we take so strongly to talking about depression at the start of every show is partly because of Pippi. Uh, Pippi did mention to me back in May that she had planned on committing suicide in March. And that part of uh, us mentioning this is what one of the things that was, she said was in back of her mind that kept her from doing that. So that made us continue to keep, talking about it and talking about it, knowing that it did actually, that was the first real inclination that it actually helped somebody out there. Um, so we just kind of kept pushing on that. And, uh, unfortunately as, as time goes on, other things happen in life and, um, something obviously happened to where she just lost her, her will. And it just sucks because there was a lot of people in the group that had talked to her and and was definitely pulling for her situation to get much better. And, um, you know, you you find out something like this, and you just the immediate thought is, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if? And I know I I thought I don't know how many times in the past two days that you know I wish I'd have stayed in closer contact, knowing that she was struggling. And you know, I understand that the first thing people are going to say is, hey, everybody's got busy lives; it's tough to keep track of everyone, and and I understand that, but it doesn't make it any easier to deal with, right? Well,
3: rest in peace, darling. I hope you are at peace right now, and we love you.
0: And once again, we want to point out, if you're please going through any kind of struggles, pick up the phone, call somebody, call us. You know, uh, write us a letter, you know, call the suicide hotline, 1-800-273-8255, text line 741-741. And see, that's part of the problem that Pippi had. She said that there was, was no suicide Numbers over in Sweden anymore That was part of what got cut uh, Now I haven't You know Verified that obviously But you know We've got no reason Not to believe that And you know She just was Failed by the system Over there And it was all Because of budget cuts And stuff like that So um, It was a tough one And that's you know Knowing the situation And knowing That she was struggling To get support over there I guess that's why I probably felt like the, We could have done A little more maybe mm-hmm. As far as keeping track Just yeah. You know So Feel really bad about it, and and um, hopefully, um, if if I'm faced with that situation again, I'll handle it a little bit different with trying to keep a little uh, more of a hands-on approach and, on situations like that. All right, it's not much of a transition, but yeah, I guess I we can. It sucks, but it, it does. We've got to do the show. We had David Flora at the house yesterday. We
3: did. Man, we had such a good time, even though we lost Kentucky. Thank you, refs. But Jerry totally (laughs) blamed it on David, so I wasn't that harsh.
0: Yeah, David is not allowed at the house anymore on game day, (laughs) since he's obviously a jinx. (laughs) But no, we had a good time, and uh, we recorded an episode for his show, and then we've got a little 30-minute or so segment Mm -hmm. that we'll put here um, before we do the... Uh, Another installment of Hillbilly Horror House. You know, we only got two more episodes left this season. we got tonight's and next week's. I know. And uh, I know they're working on season two as we speak.
3: I also wanted to say we met his beautiful wife, Annie.
0: Annie's a sweetheart. She
3: is a sweetheart. And uh, we had a great time yesterday. It was a lot of fun.
0: And so you'll get to hear about that. David, of course, is... he's the host of blurry photos and we were listening to blurry photos before we even started on podcasts they, yeah. him, him and uh, uh Dave Stego started that thing back in 2012 yeah. so i mean when you figure they've been doing it for damn near 7 years i
3: know and we great
0: we're newbies they've been doing it 3 yeah. times longer than we have and uh it's been through some changes but the show's awesome so uh-huh. Uh, you'll get a little taste. He's going to tell us a cool story, a uh, little bit about Lemp Mansion mm-hmm. and his stay there and a little bit of background on Lemp. So we'll learn a little bit about his show, but he's got some cool stories for you. So here you go. What about tonight's story? Are you ready for this?
3: I'm ready. I, am, I have been ready.
0: I know you are. <laughs> we, we've been talking... Um, in recent weeks about doing some different types of things. Not, not everything we do obviously is paranormal based. Some of it is what the hell is that based? (laughs) You know, the, the just unexplained or weird or creepy. This fits more in those lines. A lot of you out there may be familiar with missing 411 and missing 411 is a series of books from David Pilates David's a retired police officer. He started uh, to kind of take notice years ago that several people that go missing from the national parks all over the U.S. and and really, for that matter, all over the world. They started having some common things to each other. Because If I told you, hey, a bunch of people are missing from the national parks, you're probably just going to say, oh, I mean, they, you know, got lost. It's a big area. They've just wandered off somewhere. But David doesn't really seem to think that's the case, mm-hmm. uh, and as we get deeper into this story, you're going to hear a couple other theories and stuff. But you're also going to find out David really doesn't give a theory on it. And <laughs> it, it well, we'll get we'll get into why he I doesn't. thought She's going to a-
3: say something totally different. David doesn't really give a. No, <laughs> you said theory, <Mary>, so.
0: <laughs> so the national parks do not have a database that keeps track of these missing people. Some people will tell you that. Um, well, that's just because what's the point of keeping track of it? People go missing. There's no need to have in a database. And that makes sense. But you're going to find out a large amount of these cases can be classified as strange. It's not all the norm. And we're going to get into a bunch of those. So what do you they-
3: mean They don't make sense? Having them in a database.
0: No, I'm saying there's, there's no need to have it. There's really no need to have a database about people that are going missing in the national parks where they would just have all the national parks together. I mean, I'm sure... Yellowstone knows how many people go missing at Yellowstone, but I mean, there's no database that just, that's a, that would be a weird database to have, just people who are missing from national parks. I mean, it's, there's no need for that.
3: I don't see it that way.
0: Well, I probably do to the people that are missing. But, I mean, you, what else are you are going to have? A database for people that wear, you know, Cub Scout uniforms to the parks? and a, You can't have a no, database for everything. but they're
3: missing, so they're, like, missing. But
0: there's a missing person database already out there. But it doesn't have to be a database for the national parks is what I'm saying specifically. All right. David started kind of noticing a lot of the similarities on these unsolved disappearances. Here's an example of some of the things that David started noticing. None of these victims that we're going to talk about tonight and, and several others for that matter left behind a scent that dogs could find. So they would bring in a lot of times when you have missing people, you're going to bring in these search dogs. None of the people that he's listed in his books as missing 411 could be traced by a dog at all.
3: Well, that's pretty crazy.
0: Search parties will spend months looking without a single trace of their bodies ever being recovered. That's kind of unusual. Usually Mm -hmm. you'll find something. Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes their clothes will turn up in an area that's been searched hundreds of times. And now they just randomly appear. So David Pilates went on a mission to find out what the hell's going on in the national parks. Thus the what the hell's going on type of show. He's classified over 1,440 missing persons under this missing 411 label. To where he says all these have the same similarities. Now, the missing 4 one label is somewhat vague. True, they all have, uh, uh, you know, missing people involved. But some turn up later in time. They don't all stay missing. And we're going to hear some stories about some of those. <laughs> and when they turn up, there's lots of confusion. Not just for them, but for their friends and their family. You're going to be amazed by some of these stories tonight. David doesn't share any of his theories. I told you that. And... It, that's mainly because he says it's out of respect for the families. Mm. So he doesn't just want to speculate on what yeah. might have happened. Could you imagine if you had like a six-year-old kid that was missing and they mm-hmm. never found him, you probably wouldn't want somebody just coming up with a theory. Yeah, and, that's you know. true.
3: That's true.
0: So, however, there are a bunch of other people who do have theories. And these things range from UFO abduction to Bigfoot to... Just the fact that the uh, uh, area is so vast that people can just fall off the face of the earth, literally, and not be found. And possibly even, you know, wild animal attacks. All that comes into play. Now, considering that Pilates started uh, the North American Bigfoot search, and he's an author of a book called Tribal Bigfoot, you might, and that's all I'm doing, is assume that he may lean towards a cryptid type explanation. He obviously is a big believer in Bigfoot and Mm -hmm. and all that. And I think I'm speculating again, but I think that's where all this came from. I think during his search uh, for Bigfoot and his research on the subject, I think, it somehow got tied into all these people that are missing in the national parks. And mm-hmm. it's coincidence. It's not saying that they're tied together, but he stumbled across that while researching something else. And then that's kind of taken over his life, you know, for the last 10, 15 years. So there's definitely lots of people that think that the government is part of a conspiracy and cover up when it comes to these missing people. That's where they put the whole there's no database, uh, which, like I said, it really doesn't make sense to have a database. But when you're going to come up with a conspiracy theory, mm-hmm. you're going to put into whatever fits. So their thing is, well, it's awful funny. We got all these people that are missing from the park and there's no database. But in real, realistically, m- most uh, government agencies wouldn't think there would be. A conspiracy to where you would need that database is for it. but that's what the outsiders looking in are going to uh, are looking at when they see how many of these things are, and then they make a compelling case. As we get a little more into it, you can see why some people yeah. might think there's a cover up. So the parks are huge and some rough terrain out there, and people can get lost or fall off cliffs and go on a trail that people don't often walk along, and they can get lost and disoriented. Yeah. So that's you know. Therefore, that's why some of these bodies may not be found. I mean, you think about it. Some of these parks are are thousands and thousands of acres. Oh, yeah. And like there's a search that was, uh, you know, in the Smoky Mountain National Park that we're going to talk about. It was like a 53 square mile radius. Whoa. I mean, if you can get lost... And they got to cover 53 square miles. I don't care how many people you got. There's a good chance they're not going to cover an area where you may be, Mm -hmm. you know, especially if you're off the beaten path. Why would they go off the beaten path to look for you? Or if they do, it's going to be a little harder, you know, but even if this is true for some, you're going to see that some of these cases don't fit into that category. Another one of these common instances that you're going to find in these cases is that many of the people who go missing are children. And oftentimes, these children go missing while they're walking with their parents.
3: That's crazy. How does that even happen?
0: I don't know. We wouldn't be doing a show on it if it did not happen. (laughs)
3: Oh, that makes sense.
0: (laughs) Some turn up in areas that are inaccessible by most people and that searchers have already looked at several times. Wow. And just didn't find them. Now we mentioned clothing being found, but we didn't mention that sometimes it's found neatly folded. The children that are found alive can't describe what happened to them or where they are. In a lot of these cases where people are found dead or alive, it's often farther away than where where they went missing and it's farther away than what they probably could have traveled in the time period that they were missing. That's crazy. And I know that's being vague, but we're going to hear some stories where it gets in a lot more detail on some of that.
3: You mean like as far away as like even way out of the park or? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Whoa. You're going to hear one story where the person was 3,000 miles away. Stop (laughs) it. Wow. So are you ready to get into some of these cases? I
3: am. I'm so interested.
0: So we're going to start. With Catherine Van Aust. Now she was an eight-year-old little girl, and she got lost in the Ozark Mountains. This goes back to 1946. She was going for a walk. It was near the camp, and she just disappeared into thick vegetation. She was found alive after six days of people searching for her. So here's what's weird about this: they were searching um, all over a place called Devil's Den. They looked at a spot that they'd been at numerous times already. And she just walked out of some brush. Oh, God. She was unharmed, and she seemed unconcerned about the whole ordeal. She just walked out like nothing had happened. So, and we,
3: so you think she just didn't even realize what was going on?
0: Well, how, you got to realize you're you're you know, an eight-year-old kid, and you've been gone for six days. Eating, drinking. I mean, how, how are you able to do any of this stuff? So it, there had to be... It had to have been an ordeal for her, Mm -hmm. you would think. But she walked out basically like it was 20 minutes earlier. Oh, wow. You know, there was no signs that anything had ever happened or she was under any distress or anything. So we mentioned this this little place was called Devil's Den. Children often get lost at places with similar names. Oh. For example, in 1938, a five-year-old named Alfred Bellharts, he went missing in the Rocky Mountains Mm -hmm. National Park. They went to the river with his dad. They were going to go fishing, right? And mm-hmm. then they went a little further up the river. They were going to meet some friends. But they didn't notice that Alfred was missing until they got back to the camp.
3: Well, what the hell? <laughs> Did they not pay attention to their kids?
0: Apparently not. The next day, a huge search party was kind of combing the area. A few hikers looked up, and they noticed a boy perched up at a place called Devil's Nest. Hmm. He was just up there. So, but they did. They weren't part of the search party. They oh. were just hikers. Oh gosh! So, by the time they realized that there was a search party and notified them, the boy was gone, and he was never seen oh. again.
3: What? Why didn't they get the boy? Why didn't they hold on to
0: him? They they saw him up on a perch. Okay. Okay. So okay, how many kids are on a perch? No, I'm not saying that, but it's not that easy. You're out in the... I mean, you're looking up on the side of a mountain or something, and you see somebody up there. I mean, I'm assuming they probably thought that the kid was with parents or something. I
3: would have been like, boy, what are you doing sitting up around the park? Get down from there. <laughs> and they just walked on.
0: Oh, that's terrible. Then you got a six-year-old named Dennis Martin, and... Dennis was probably one of the most highly publicized cases that we're going to talk about tonight. And it led to one of the biggest national park searches ever. This happened, uh, as this is the story I was telling you about a while ago, in Smoky Mountain National Park.
3: No kidding.
0: The Green Berets, which are the uh, the U.S. Army Special Forces, even helped out in this situation. Whoa, no kidding. So Dennis went, went missing in the Smoky Mountains. And, obviously, it's a place that we go all the time, but it's also infamous for the amount of people that go missing there. You had no clue that, did you?
3: No. Is it people hiking or just random people in, general, in Gatlinburg? In
0: general. Well, you kind of a... Smoky, I mean, Smoky, Smoky Mountains. Yeah, Smoky Mountains goes a lot farther than, obviously, Gatlinburg. It goes all the way over to North Carolina. Oh, but. my gosh. So, Dennis went missing on June 14th, 1969. It was Father's Day weekend. He was a yeah. there with his father and some friends and all that. 1,400 searchers searched a 56-square-mile area. So I said it was 53 earlier, but it's 56 mm-hmm. miles. And Dennis and his brother and some other kids, get this now, they, they were going to hide behind a bush, like a big bush. They were all going to hide behind the bush, and then when their dad and some other of the adults came by, they were going to jump out and scare, scare
3: them. them. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Dennis was the last one to walk behind the bush. So all the kids are back there. The adults and stuff come by, and they all pop out. Except for Dennis. He didn't pop out behind the bush. Nobody knew where he was. He was back behind the bush. He walked back there with the other kids. But then as soon as they popped out, he was nowhere to be found. So they looked around for about five minutes. And then the family uh, started searching. You know, they Mm -hmm. figured he was just hiding still longer or something. But so after about five minutes, they're like, well, we need to start looking for him. So they begin searching. And after several hours, they called the park rangers for help Mm -hmm. when they couldn't find him. So Dennis was wearing bright colors which is also another theme and common trait is a lot of these people that go missing, where we're wearing bright colors, a lot of bright oranges. You're kidding. Yeah, it's, it's something else that they find. So
3: so we don't need to it, wear bright it, colors. So it's
0: almost. So that's what some people will say is whatever it is, whether it's aliens, whether it's you know, a cryptid or whatever, it may be attracted to the bright colors.
3: Oh, my goodness.
0: But Dennis had, had these bright colors on it and it kept his family – Uh, was able to keep up with him most of the time because of this. So the initial search was pretty tough because the first day, it rained the whole time. Mm. The second day, it was super foggy. And the day that he went missing, there was a group of hikers a Mm -hmm. little bit further away. And they said that they heard a uh, horrible scream coming from the park. And, well, you know, I'm going to rephrase that. They said it was a sickening scream. So that's even worse. Aww. And they said a few minutes later, they saw a rough-looking man moving quickly through the woods, kind of where the sound came from. Dennis's dad spent about two weeks in the woods searching. Park, a park ranger by the name of uh, Dwight McCarter was haunted by the case. It was just just mm-hmm. stuck so much to him. Now, it made no sense to, to him that a boy could just completely vanish. They eventually did find a shoe and a sock, and that's all that was found. Now, eventually, they had to scale back the, the search to about a thousand people on the twenty sixth, and then the search was abandoned on June twenty ninth.
3: <gasps> My birthday. <Yep>. why Why?
0: <laughs> they probably didn't know it was your birthday, and the effect uh... that it would have. Happened. And technically. um when was this? This was in the sixties, right? Mm-hmm. So it might not even, it might have actually been your birthday.
3: Oh, this is still making me sad.
0: Yes, it's, a, it is very sad. All of these stories are sad. So anyways, on, um, September 14th, 1969, they offic- officially closed down the entire search. They were done. It was Aww. closed. Nothing they could do. Now there's a few theories about what may have happened. But most point to that man that they saw running through the woods. Uh, A park ranger in in that park had previously been attacked by what they deemed to be a wild mountain man that lived in the wilderness of the park, right on the edge of the park. So there could have just been some crazy hillbilly. Well,
3: I mean, I know this is... I can't say what I would do in that situation, but you would think maybe if those hikers saw him running like that, like a crazy person, they would chase after
0: him or something. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe you don't know what it, what he's running from or what what the sound, but they could they could have thought that was just him making the sound mm-hmm. that that scream or whatever. See, the problem here with that theory though is that this was about five miles away mm-hmm. from where he went missing. And remember what we said was this happened just a little bit later that day. Mm -hmm. That's not saying that a a boy, you know, couldn't walk five miles, but five miles in the wood is a pretty damn good ways when you're six years old.
3: Yeah. And you don't know where you're going. Right.
0: And, you know, then you've got a little bit later in time. Oh, and also I want to get back to the hikers. The hikers said that they thought that that guy running may have been carrying something. A bag, a per- but they couldn't tell if it, if it could have been a person. Uh, you know, so they could have been. When he was running, he actually may have been carrying the little boy with him. Oh, my him. God. See, they should have went. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but they didn't. Oh, they could have saved him. Theoretically, he was never found. And I say theoretically because on record, he was never found. They found that shoe and sock, and that was it.
3: Was it his? Did they know? Uh,
0: yes, it was his shoe and sock. Oh, it was his yeah, shoe and Yeah, it was his, his shoe and sock. Mm-hmm. But you got a story of a ginseng hunter that supposedly found a child's skeleton a few years after Dennis went missing in the woods. He didn't tell anybody until 1985 for fear of being prosecuted. I don't know if he was in fear of being prosecuted. of Hey, I found some bones. I hope they don't blame me. Yeah. Or if he wasn't supposed to be hunting for ginseng mm-hmm. and... You know, either way, he was fear of some kind of type of prosecution, so he says he didn't tell anybody. But when he did tell somebody in '85, I mean, now you're looking at like 15 years after the crime. So Mm -hmm. they sent a search party or, or, or went out and investigated the area where he says he saw it, and they didn't find anything. So either he was just lying, or the fact that it's been at this point, you know, it's been years, you know, later, 15 years after the fact, even if there was skeleton scrawled out there, I mean, animals are just. Time. Could have I taken just cannot way.
3: imagine ever having that happen for your child just to disappear like that, and there's no closure whatsoever. There's no way. E- I mean, how can you even live? I couldn't even live not knowing what happened. I
0: mean, I saw some other stuff on that case, and I know um, the assumption is that maybe he was attacked and pulled off by a bear, or because there's a lot of those oh, obviously in the park there. And so, yeah, it, it's it's a horrible thought of losing a child and not having any kind of closure. No, nothing. And not nothing. Not what's one going
3: thing. On. Oh my gosh.
0: So these cases go way back. And the next one we're going to talk about is from 1897. Wow. Lillian Carney was a six year old from Maine and she lived about 15 miles from the Canadian border. She went missing on August 8th, 1897 at noon. She was blueberry picking with her parents. Another common theme is how many of these things happen while people are picking berries. That seems like the oddest coincidence of all of them, but that's another thing that you find in a lot of these cases. They were out picking berries, Hmm. and maybe it's just because where these berries are that it's you know
3: location and everything. Right.
0: So she's picking berries with her parents, and uh, they had really just gotten to where they to the area and was just getting started, and they said she just vanished. They searched for about an hour, and then they got some other people in the area that were going to help, and before long they had two hundred searchers looking for her. Now, that was by the next morning, mm-hmm. but they had 200 people looking for her. When searchers are looking for um, these anybody who's missing, they tend to call their name, and they always say that they're a friend and they're there to help. According to David Pilates, on these 411 cases, searchers never get a response back, which is strange. If people are lost or cold or hungry, they tend to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the... Um people on the other side playing devil's advocate will say, well, yeah, but you're not getting a response from them because they're not found. So they can't respond if they're not there. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, it's two ways of looking at that. Yeah. One. But that is something he points out. Now, the next day in this case, 300 people show up. So this was the, the third day now or the second full day of searching. Mm-hmm. you got 300 people that show up at 10 a.m. A guy named Bert Poland. He found her between two and three miles from where her parents last are. Her. Now, here's what Lillian had to say. This is the, the strange part. So this is another deal where we find them. Mm-hmm. Two days later, she's two, three miles away from where she was. Now, that's not too far off, considering the fact it's been two days. A, a yeah. kid could, you know, walk that far easy. She said, the sun shined the whole time she was in the woods. And that's a weird thing for a six-year-old to say. Yeah. When you think about it. Especially considering that she spent two nights outside and it was partly cloudy the rest of the time. So it would have been impossible for the sun to be shining the whole time. Well, of course, especially at night. At nighttime. And it was cloudy. So there was no time where the sun would have been shining. There was also no artificial lights anywhere around the area. It was the 1890s. That would have been bright enough for her to think that. So mm-hmm. she couldn't went to like a Walmart parking lot and, mm-hmm. and thought, yeah, you know, but the reality of it was that's all there really is on that case. But this kid just turns up oh, two days God. later. And that's all she has to say is that the lights were shining the whole time she was oh, out.
3: Thank God she turned up.
0: You know, there's one of these cases, we're not going to talk about it tonight, but there's one of these cases recently. Um so, Well. It ties into a case recently, but there's one of these where the kid was missing, and he says that he spent the whole time with, like, um, I think it was a wolf. He said that they spent the time with the wolf, and the wolf was feeding, feeding her or him, mm-hmm. and, and it was like, well, what did the wolf eat? And they said the wolf ate her hat, <laughs> and the wolf ate her gloves. It was like in the middle of the snow. And the wolf ate her gloves and ate her hat, but she said the wolf was bringing her food to eat, which... There was a story that was circulating here a month or so ago about a kid. This is a true story about a kid that that went missing and turned up a couple of days later. And she said that she was with a bear the whole time. And it reminded me of this story. There's, oh, I think
3: I heard that. Yeah, story. this was
0: two very similar stories, Aww. but this other one happened years ago.
3: Wow, that's so nice that they turn I mean, he took care of them.
0: Well, it's either that or to Bigfoot, or yeah. <laughs> so it's just odd. That those two stories were very similar.
3: Yeah. It's like the opposite of Little Red Riding Hood. Right. Wow.
0: Quite the opposite. Maybe
3: the wolf didn't like the way that story went. (laughs) He's just like, look.
0: This one I found fascinating because it involves a three-year-old little boy. Mm -hmm. And I think he goes by John Doe because obviously the parents didn't want him to know what his deal was. But he went missing near Mount Shasta at 6.30 p.m. and was found at 11.30 p.m. So he was only gone for about five hours. And this is what he says happens to him during the time he was missing. He said he was uh, taken to a cave that he thinks was underground. He said he knew it was dark outside, but when he was in the cave, he could look at the entrance and see it was light outside there. So he knows it was dark outside, but he could see light coming out of the entrance of the cave for some reason. First of all, this is a three-year-old kid. I was going to
3: say, three years old.
0: (laughs) He said he was with a woman that he thought was his grandmother because she looked like his grandmother. He said in the cave, he saw things like people, but they were not moving and they were like robots. Whoa. He figured out that the woman wasn't his grandmother. And he said that she was very nice and polite, but he thinks she was a robot too. He said she had some uh, an unusual light coming from her head. He said that she started to get really pushy, and she put some sticky paper on the ground and asked him to poop on it. He said he didn't have to go, and she got mad. He said he saw guns all around the cave, but they were dusty.
3: What the hell? <laughs>
0: Now, go ahead.
3: (laughs) Okay. So, a three-year-old cannot just make that up. There's no way. It's pretty... I mean, that's pretty precise, what he was saying. It is. And he didn't have to go, robot lady.
0: Don't get mad. (laughs) Don't get mad. So I mean, just that that whole thing. I mean, she laid out sticky paper and... That is unreal. Now... (laughs)
3: thank god he escaped
0: i'm going to say do you remember but i know you won't remember but we did a show on mount shasta years ago okay it wouldn't really
3: okay that's was years ago okay
0: it was kind of years ago it was almost a year and a half ago but anyway we did a show on mount shasta and i believe that was out in i think it's washington and but there was a lot of people the 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 native americans out there think that there's a whole city underneath that mountain that it's like Atlantis. And well, maybe people, that's what it was. I mean, it's, but that, that's the story with Mount Chastis is there's, I think they're called like Peruvians or Veruvians mm. or, but anyway, it's supposedly these are like these genius people that are so far advanced from normal civilization and they all live underneath that mountain. That is very and, fascinating. And there's a lot of, and when we did that story, mm-hmm. there was two other stories that were similar to these stories that we're doing tonight that we told about Mount Shasta where people just disappeared and ended up in a cave. And I know there was a woman and a, um, a, a like a her grandchild, mm-hmm. I think, that disappeared and then they woke up and they didn't have any idea what was going on, but they had like a little mark oh, like their, behind their yeah, ear behind or something ear, like yeah. that. And then you had a guy that woke up in a cave wearing somebody else's clothes. And so there's a bunch of weird stuff that goes on around that Mount Shasta area. Well,
3: it must be the, True story Because that little three-year-old, I mean, he cannot make up that stuff. I wouldn't think.
0: And as far as, like, lost time, like we talked about those people, you Mm -hmm. know, kind of like that. There's a bunch of these occurrences at these parks that um, have a lot of people with the lost time situation. So we'll breeze through a couple of these. But, like, there was a woman that said she lost three hours on a trail. Mm -hmm. She was just going and three hours disappeared and she has no clue where. There was another woman that said she was hiking on a well-marked trail, and she was only about three-quarters of a mile in, and she walked about five feet off the path onto the grass because there was a sign, a bright color sign that was uh, hung up on a tree.
3: And she was trying to see what it said? Yeah, she
0: just walked over to see what it said, and, and it was just the name of the forest on it was all it was. But she said when she read the sign, turned right around, and literally the trail was not there <gasps> that she had been on. What'd she do? I don't know. That's all I had. But she said she was in a, a completely different location than where she started. Oh my gosh! Then you got a veteran who had a, uh, an experience that was out there with his son. He said, he said he he was just walking along the path him and his son, and he he turned around and looked back and he noticed the trail that he was walking on had lost all sense of familiarity. It's just, he said there the, the there were trees that he hadn't seen before when they were walking. He said the forest looked completely different. He said there was a bunch of plants that he knows for a fact he didn't see because they stood out, you know, Mm -hmm. from color-wise or something. He said regardless, he wanted to keep his composure because he's got his son with him, and he just starts walking. He said he hears a snapping sound, and he just starts staring into the woods to see where the snapping sound comes from. He said he didn't see any animals or people but for some reason, he became fixated on a particularly dark area of the forest. He said his body kind of started to lock up. And he said after um, every single alarm in his head kind of, you know, mental alarm in his head kind of went off. That no matter what he tried to do after that point, he couldn't see anything. He said he could look, but everything was blurry. It's like he, he couldn't focus on the area. Now, what is odd is he had a very weird sensation of being able to see things individually. Like, he couldn't see the whole part of the forest, Mm -hmm. but he could focus on and see a branch of a tree in explicit high-definition detail. So, if he tried to focus on something as small as a branch or a leaf, Mm -hmm. perfect. But when he tried to see the whole picture, the whole tree, everything was blurry. So he also said he had uh, felt that, you know, internal fight or flight mechanism in your body. (laughs) You know, should I stay or should I go? Mm -hmm. That he said it was flipping so fast between the two decisions, it was like a coin toss in the air.
3: That is some scary stuff there.
0: Now, some people will say that, like these little brief couple we did, um, they sound like stories of people that have what they call lost person syndrome. And that's where people get lost, they get disoriented, and they think they know where they are, but in reality, they're not. So, they, you know, like an example of that one, the guy might have thought that he was in a different part of the forest, but for some reason, he was just wrong. And that's how people get turned around and go the wrong way.
3: Like Barney did.
0: Everything does not need to go back to...
3: It did. He got lost in the woods.
0: Well, I was thinking more like the uh, the planes uh, that disappeared, the flight that disappeared over the Bermuda yeah. Triangle, because that's what it happens a lot of times up there. Yes, and they'll, they'll lose their.
3: That is so mind-boggling. That's wow,
0: a lot of crazy stuff going on in this world. There definitely is, and we're going to learn about a few more of them. All right, so now we're going to go to 1981, and this involves an 84 year old man named Maurice Demetz. And he was going to go topaz hunting with his friend, David McSweeney. So Dammit had a PhD in theology, which is kind of ironic when you find out where he got lost at. But he had stated in several publications back in the 1970s that the Antichrist was coming. And um, so he he had developed a name for himself already. A lot of people knew who he was through mm-hmm. these theological magazines. So he and his friend went up to go to a place called Topaz Point in Pike National Forest, and that's in Colorado. Native Americans claimed that this area was haunted by evil spirits. Early settlers called it Devil's Head. Dammit, could barely walk because he had really bad knees. Of course, the way he said he was in his 80s. So David had to help him get down a small hill to get to a sandy digging spot in the forest. David went elsewhere to start digging. He was about like 150 yards away, so he wasn't that far away. And he eventually went back to tell Dammit's, um spot and, and said that, hey, we were going to be leaving in about 10 minutes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He went back to his spot, like I said, about 150 yards away, and, and he started cleaning up his tools. And when David came back, Dammit's was gone. With his bad knees, it would have been impossible for him to climb up the hill. All right. He also couldn't have gotten very far into the forest for the same reason, he could barely walk, and it had only been 10 minutes. He honked a horn, he called out for him, looked all around the area, he flagged down a car and asked them to go get the police so he could keep looking for a little bit. So the search lasted for five days, but Maurice Demetz was never found.
3: My goodness.
0: Police closed the case and said that that's all that they could do. Pilates covered this case in a documentary that he did for 411, and that documentary he pointed out that there had been a cluster of similar disappearances there in Devilhead.
3: Head. That is crazy.
0: Here's one that's only a year old, February 2018. Danny Filippidis from Canada went skiing in New York with some friends. They were all together and they were getting ready to, to go to the lodge. it was you know almost lunchtime. but Danny said he wanted to go down the, the slope one more time. So he went ahead and friends allowed him. This was about two o'clock and they were basically had been skiing for hours at this point mm-hmm. so you know there's possibility he could be tired that could have led to whatever. By 4 p.m he wasn't returning anybody's calls or texts. So his friends decided they were concerned, and and they start looking for him. They had no luck at all, and they told the employees at the lodge, hey, we're having some trouble finding our friend. So 130 people searched the mountain with no luck. Six days later, his wife gets a call, dannys wife. She gets a phone call, only it came from a number that she didn't recognize.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Obviously, she's knowing that her... Husband's missing, so she answers it. It was staticky, and it seemed like it was from far away. But she said it was her husband's voice. He was confused, incoherent, and he hung up on her. She calls the number back and begs him to call 911 for help, and he did. He had no idea where he was, and he just described his surroundings. So the paramedics finally found him. He was still wearing all of his ski equipment. Someone had cut his hair. And he had a brand new iPhone that he had no clue where he got. And he needed medical assistance. (laughs) Where was he? At the airport terminal car rental depot in Sacramento, California. 3,000 miles away from where he disappeared.
3: You gotta be kidding.
0: He had no clue how he got there. Or what day of the week it even was. When he learned how many people had been looking for him and for for how long, he became overwhelmed and emotional.
3: Oh, man. I mean, what do you even (laughs) say about that? I don't know. Well, I mean, thank God he's okay. Got a new do.
0: (laughs) And a new iPhone.
3: Yeah. That costs a lot of money.
0: So, I mean, you're on a slope skiing. And next day, six days later, you're 3,000 miles away. Yeah, where
3: it's sunny and warm. and
0: with, with, an, with an iPhone that you don't know where you got, have no clue what's happened in the last six days, you're in the same clothes, and you're in an airport depot at a car rental place. Wow. And have no clue what happened in the last six days. Wow. Now, devil's advocate again. You know, some people say in that situation, they think that maybe he was kidnapped by a trucker, which I don't know why they would have been on the slopes. Not that they can't go skiing, but it just seems like an odd place to kidnap somebody. But they think that it's possible a trucker may have kidnapped him and traveled cross-country with him. And for who knows what. I'm okay,
3: playing. that just sounds dumb.
0: Well, I mean, I guess they could have kept him drugged up or something where he wouldn't have known what was going on. But why would they cut? It's just so many unanswered. Why would they cut this hair? Yeah. Why would, you know, it's just a lot of strange stuff.
1: Huh.
0: All right, let's move this puppy along because we still got David's interview to do. We still got Hillbilly Horror House we got a bunch of Patreon stuff. we got all kinds of cool stuff to come up. Y'all are, y'all are in for a long show. Mm-hmm. 1952. Two-year-old boy by the name of Keith Parks was playing outside his home in Ritter, Oregon. He had a jacket on, but it definitely wasn't equipped to spend much time outside. You know, just yeah. a light jacket more. Or not a light jacket, but, you know, for the weather, if he wouldn't plan on spending the night or anything outside, that's for sure. Well, that's what happened, though. He went missing with his family. And... Um, his family got a local search party together and they started looking for him almost immediately. They couldn't follow his tiny little footprints up to the point to where it just stopped. So they see him, they follow him. He stopped plenty of snow out there and they just can't find where the footprints just stopped. Think about that. It's almost like an Eagle or something. Just him yeah,
3: up. Yeah. Like, yeah,
0: there were no other animal or adult footprints anywhere near the vicinity though. Just his. 19 hours later, they found him without his coat on and laying face down on a frozen pond. Did I mention he was 15 miles away? What? This is 19 hours later, a two-year-old 15 miles away from where he went missing.
3: Was he alive?
0: Yeah. He did not remember how he got there, though. Survival expert Les Stroud filmed a segment for one of the Missing 411 documentaries to demonstrate how hard it would have been for a two-year-old to walk 15 miles in 19 hours, especially at nighttime. Well,
3: wow, that's just so scary. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe he survived that.
0: Yeah, it would have been tough. I mean, he don't have a coat on. Which, you know, people who suffer from hypothermia... Uh, they have a tendency to get disoriented and think they're hot and take their mm-hmm. clothes off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, that could have been a situation why he didn't have his coat on. He might have thought he was hot when in reality he was hypothermia. And, mm-hmm. But I mean,
3: and to be laying face down on an ice pond
0: 15 miles away. Mm. I mean, he would have had to walk almost a mile an hour as mm-hmm. a two year old.
3: Yeah, that didn't happen. Or a
0: little over a mile an hour, I guess. Yeah, almost a mile. It was 15 miles in 19 hours.
3: Mm hmm.
0: I couldn't do 15 miles in 19 hours. Oh, I don't hell, think.
3: I couldn't either.
0: This might be the most interesting story of all of them that we tell tonight. At least to me, it is. And I was going to save this story and because we're going to do a Patreon episode on the um, Michigan Triangle, Lake Michigan Triangle. Mm-hmm. And this story actually comes from there. So it fit with both, yeah. but it was so good, I wanted to go ahead and use it tonight. But in February 1977, 24-year-old 20 year Stephen Kabaki was con- cross-country skiing through the snow near Lake Michigan. This is a place called uh, Lake Michigan Triangle. and like I said, we're going to do a story on this. There's a bunch of missing ships and everything else that happens in this little area. It's pretty cool. So he's skiing. He doesn't return home the day after he's supposed to, and his family reports him missing. Search team scouted the entire area and found his skis and poles on the beach of Lake Michigan and his footprints lead up to Lake Michigan and stop. So it looks like he just went into the lake. Mm-hmm. They did an aerial passover and they showed the exact same thing. His footprints stopped at the lake. The, the lake was frozen right there. It was unbroken. So they, they had no clue what the situation was. So later that day, they found his backpack in the same vicinity as his skis. He appeared to have vanished in thin air until May 5th, 1979, 15 months later, Stephen walks up to his father's door and rings the bell. (laughs) His father is in shock. So Steve, you see, Steve woke up in a field in Pittsfield 40 miles from his father's house. That's 700 miles away from Lake Michigan, where he went missing. He woke up wearing clothes that weren't his, and he had a small satchel beside him that had maps in it that weren't his. Stephen was surprised to discover he had been missing for so long. Oh, my God. That, oh, my 15 man. months later, just disappeared. Mm-hmm. Ends up 15 months later at his dad's house. Wakes up in a field, has no clue how any of this happens. Has no recollection. And he don't talk to anybody about it. I mean, he went on and got his Ph.D. Uh, in, I think, psychiatry in, like, uh, 1983. Okay,
3: and- but how? I mean, he had to talk about it to somebody. How did well, they mean, explain- he talked about it
0: to the fact that he don't know what happened. He just woke up in a field 15 months later.
3: Oh. Well, I'm glad that turned out in a good situation.
0: Oh, well, this one don't. Mm. So we're going to end with this one. Three-year-old Jared Atadero. This was 1999. Jared was living with his dad and sister and father uh, at a national park in Colorado called Comanche Wilderness. Comanche Wilderness is like a resort, and, and Jared's dad worked there, so that's why they were living there. Because he got to live there and work there. There was a Christian singles group that had been staying there, and one of the uh, women in the group offered to take Jared and his sister for a few hours up to a fish hatchery. She didn't bring up the possibility that they might actually go hiking too, but they saw a sign for a trail on the way, and they decided, hey, let's just cut through the forest. They lost track of the three-year-old, and uh, he kind of wandered away from the group somehow, some way. So two other hikers actually saw him walking alone, but assumed... His parents were nearby. He was never seen again. In 2003, four four years later, two hikers climbed up a very steep rock face about 550 feet above the trail. They found a child's tooth, a piece of skull, and Jared's clothes, which were fully intact. Oh, geez. They had been taken off of his body and turned inside out. Oh god. There was one shoe that looked like it was brand new. 4 years later, looked like it was brand new, like hadn't even been out in the weather. It had been perfectly preserved. Now the area where the remains were found was uh far too difficult for a child to have climbed by himself, and it would have been almost impossible for a kidnapper to carry him up there, mm-hmm. plus mm-hmm. pointless for a kidnapper to carry him up on the side of a mountain. Yeah. It also wouldn't have been a cougar or a bear because of the fact that the clothes would have been torn and bloody. So another instance of it being somewhere where it shouldn't have been Mm -hmm. and clothes found there and these clothes intact and turned inside outwards. It's just unbelievable. And there are literally, I could have picked 30 other stories. Which we'll do some of those for the shorts mm-hmm. coming up this week. I could have picked 30 other stories that were just as interesting as all those.
3: Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's crazy how some people never show up again and then some others do. Yeah, and not no have rhyme a clue. Or reason. yeah. So
0: you can see with the vast variety that we picked mm-hmm. people just, you know, kids saying they were robots around, mm-hmm. people that just, I, I don't know what happened. They, you know, they just disappeared and they, are found six days later or they're found two days later and they all have these stories. You can see why so many people think maybe it involves UFO abduction mm-hmm. or maybe it's got something to do with cryptids that are taking kids to caves or taking care of them or taking them up a the side of a mountain. You could see maybe a Bigfoot being able to take a kid up a side of a mountain. Yeah. Or the wild man that was running could have been something or maybe it was wouldn't a wild man. Maybe it was something else that looked like a wild man at a quick glimpse but you could see why some people think that there might be a conspiracy that, you know, the government doesn't want you to know that all these things are happening because maybe they're in on it. Yeah. You know, maybe they maybe they know there's a Bigfoot problem or a UFO problem that's taking people from the forest and they're not gonna make a big deal out of it. Yeah. That, you know, it's just like right. the guy we talked about, the uh um eighty four year old. You know, he just goes missing. And the police just a, a short while later just oh it's case closed. It's done. You know, there's nothing else we could do about it. Mm. But that seems awful quick to just well, yeah. close a case on somebody missing. I mean who says that his friend didn't do something with him? Well, yeah, we have, why wouldn't they investigate? You know, and they might like that. and they might have. Yeah. But a lot of strange stuff.
3: Mm hmm. For sure.
0: So here's what we'll do. It's, I know
3: what I ain't gonna be doing. You'll do it. No, I'm not. I'm not going in no damn forest no more. Yeah. Not ever.
0: You're going to the forest.
3: My hair might attract something.
0: Yeah, Aquanet. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All right, so why don't we do this? Why don't you go ahead and read um the iTunes and the Patreons real quick and then we'll do Hibley Horror House and then we'll talk a little bit about some upcoming shows because um I wanna I wanna cover the the show real quick. If you wanna come to the Louisville show (laughs) And Ninja apparently does. If you want to come to the Louisville show, there's only a handful of tickets left. Now that's the show that's got uh, exorcist and demonologist Bishop James Long that you've seen on uh, Ghost Adventures and the History Channel and a bunch of other stuff. It's going to be doing an awesome demonstration. You do not want to miss that. We'll be there. Brohio will be there. And uh, we drink and we know things will be there. But the important part to hear is for the longest time, Waverly Hills didn't have any open spots and they did the 8 o'clock tour which sold out almost immediately now they have a 10 o'clock tour available so and there's not very many tickets left for that but if you want to make it a double bill and come to the show and then go to Waverly Uh, Tracy and I may do the second show also, which we said we weren't going to do after two last year, but if enough of you want to do the 10 o'clock tour and want us to come along, we can probably be co-horsed and come along. So (laughs) send us a message and just let us know, uh, if that's on your mind. But yeah, I want to mention that one real quick because that is the next show coming up. It's only three weeks away.
3: I know. that's crazy.
0: So there you go. All
3: right. Well, um, we have some iTunes reviews. O'Malley Jackson. Shoes, booze, and tattoos. Fish God 76, which is Joe Palazzolo. Joe Palazzolo. <laughs> I got you, Italian buddy. Uh, Michelle GB5, Old Honky, Tasha Ann 937, Girlfriend in a Coma, which is Amanda Rachel's. We'd love to thank you guys for our reviews. They were amazing as usual, and we love y'all for that. Um, we had some Patreons. We had Jennifer, Eileen Castanon, and Carl Floyd III. Thank you guys so much for that. We appreciate you all as well. And
0: um, We had a bunch of people buy shirts. Yes, I was we was going to say that. We put the new design out, and now today I put another version of the new design out because Heidi Krauss is phenomenal, and she did a wooden frame around our current design, and we just love it. So we mm-hmm. put it out. So now that one's available. She also put together a phone wallpaper, and we put some um, ringtones and notifications on the website. So go to hillbillyhorrorstories.com, and you can download those for free. Mm-hmm. Which
3: I'll be crazy, I'm just saying. <laughs> we,
0: we, we, we've had a good response out of them so far. So we got Tracy's laugh oh, on there. Lord have mercy. We've got Tracy saying that she'll punch me in the face. We've got uh, some remixes of the theme song if you like stuff like that but it's it's pretty cool but the phone paper phone wallpaper is really cool yeah it's very cool so we we love heidi to death and yeah if, thank you heidi yeah so just look up uh uh angel bot 3d on instagram and you can see heidi's stuff but if you want her to do some logo work for you or something go check her out you'll be you'll be happy you did she's phenomenal
3: thank you again for the reviews and the patreons we love y'all
0: so much all right, are we ready to listen to the next to last installment of season one of Hillbilly Horror House? All
3: right, let's do it. Hi, and welcome to Hillbilly Horror House. We have put a lot of work into making this podcast a sound fest for your ears. In order to get the full effect, we highly recommend the use of headphones.
1: Kill Billy Horror House Lies, Betrayals, and Secrets Two of Three Sam, good, you made it. Man, it's good to see you again, buddy. Yeah, it has been way too long. Yeah, man, tell me about it. So, uh, you all set up here? Yes. But why did you ask me to come here? What are we looking for, David? You know, honestly, I, I don't know. I just had a weird feeling the last time we were here. Some, some strange stuff going on. Well then, after you, sir. All right, Sam. There she is. Oh, my God. Dude, what? It's the Hillbilly Horror House. Why did you just say that? Wow. Sam. Why did you just call it that? What? Oh, um... Okay, so, believe it or not, I dreamed of this place. And I dreamed you and Amber walking up to the house. I dreamed you calling it the Hillbilly Horror House. I also saw where Amber fell through the steps. Here. Right here. David... David, the step is broken where I dreamed she... Sam? You okay? David, I did dream this, right? How did how did how did you know all that, Sam? Amber and I were here that night alone. I I don't know. All I know is I dreamed it. So if all of this did happen, then then what? What happened, Sam? Then Oh, this can't be right. What? Oh, God, what else did you see? Well, I saw you. Screamed loud like a little girl. What? <laughs> Amber told you, didn't she? <laughs> yes, she did. Uh, you really should call me more than your wife does. I'm actually going to kill her. Come on, Queenie. Let's jump inside this pile of wood and see what secrets await. Yeah, let's just get this over with. Go ahead. I'll be in in just a few. Yeah, alone. Great. (sighs) Sorry to lie to you, old friend. But what lies before you
2: can't be shared.
1: Ew. It stinks in here. Yeah, like death. No, this is not death. It's mold and mildew. You bought this place? Ugh, David. No, not yet. I haven't put a bid in. I I told Amber I would. I I don't know, though, but she is so dead set on getting this place. Why? It's a death trap. And, may I say, a money pit? I don't know, man. I really don't. But she says she keeps having dreams about this house. She's connected. She says it calls to her. Yeah, I know that feeling. Do what? Oh, nothing. Just thinking out loud. Sorry. Yeah, nothing wrong with that, man. So, uh... Where do you want to start your, uh, little psychic investigation? Do you hear that? No, I don't hear it. There, tell me you heard that. Yeah, that I heard. Hey, who's up there? This is private property. Yeah, who's there? My friend here knows karate. He'll kung fu your ass. Dude, he'll kung fu your ass? What the hell is that? I don't know karate. But whoever's up there doesn't know that. Yeah, but why don't they have a gun, you dummy? Oh, yeah. My bad. And he has a gun bigger than yours. Sam! What? Are you trying to get us killed? Oh, don't be such a girl. No, that's your job, Samantha. That's right. And I can be a real bitch. Now be a man and go check that out. Oh, man. Sam, yo, Sam, where did it come from? I would say that would be a good place to start. Be a man. That'd be a good place to start. no, fools trying to get me killed. Hello. Somebody in here? This is private property, man. I'm, look, I'm coming in, okay? God, please don't hurt me. Ha! David? David? David, answer me.
0: David?
1: David? David, you okay? I got the damn! Ow! Oh my god, David! Oh, oh, I am so sorry. Dude! Oh, what'd you punch me for? Because you jumped out and you scared me, jackass. Oh my god, Amber is gonna love this. man. Is it bruising? Oh, yeah. That's going to be a nice shiner. Oh, great. I told you I can be a bitch. You were warned. So, did you find anything Black Eyed Pea? Did you find anything Black Eyed Pea? No, I did not. (sighs) Sorry. There was a broken window over there in the corner. It was probably just the wind, bro. But, that wasn't. Um, you go check it out this time. Me? Why me? Because you're the one with the right hook. Now go. Hello? Little footsteps? Oh, please don't kill me. Do you see anybody? Stick your head out the door. Are you kidding me? Do you not watch horror movies? (laughs) Just do it, man. Be a man. Oh, wait. (laughs) Uh, I mean... uh... Oh, oh my gosh, you do scream like a girl. I do not scream like a fuck. Amber, hey, baby. Nah, I'm here at the creepy house with Sam. No, I don't know why he's laughing. Dude, shut up. No, 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 not you, Amber. Amber, hey, girl. (sighs) She says hello, beautiful. Amber wants to know if you're coming over for dinner tonight. Ooh, yes, girls' night in. Yay, this should be fun. Yeah, he's coming. Okay, love you too. Bye. So, about the scream of yours. Don't. All right, all right, all right. Let's see if we have a clean house. Well, that's about it. My crystals aren't showing me anything. My inside's not giving me anything. My spirit guides are quiet, which is unusual. But I think it's safe to say that this house is spirit clean. Okay, good. Then, uh, I guess i put a bit in for the house. David, please say that was you again. That wasn't me. David, where is that coming from? Sam! Look at the crystal in your hand! It's swirling like a damn helicopter! What the... Dude, this is not good! Where the hell are my spirit guides? Did you hear that? How does it know your name? That would be a spirit guide. Then what do we do? We run like hell. Damn it! The door slammed! It won't open, David! David, it won't open! <laughs> David! Yeah! I see her.
0: we hope that you enjoyed this
3: episode writing production and editing done by tim mullins amber is played by natasha ali david is played by tim mullins the ghost lady is played by rebecca mullins sam is played by john joslin narrating by me Dana
0: Gleason. Well, obviously, another cliffhanger. So, what does next week hold for the last episode of this season? So, and I think what, uh, just so you guys know, David and uh, Natasha are working with some special guests for season two already and uh it's going to be out uh, probably going to be a month or so month and a half before that one comes out but when season two comes out hillbilly horror house will be its own podcast
3: good for them so
0: we put the first season up on this one and uh they'll be their own podcast so once they get everything set up uh with the uh, hosting company and everything, you'll be able to subscribe and everything mm-hmm. and then give give you a chance to do that before the new episodes come out. But they'll move all these old ones over there so you can go back and listen to all of them right in a row. Yeah. We're
3: without so happy without for having you guys. to
0: listen to us beforehand. Oh,
3: true story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're happy for you guys and wish you the best. You're going to be great. Very, very excited.
0: All right. Are we ready to play the little clip that we did with uh, David? Sure. I want to point out that... I am a little low sounding on this, uh, mainly because we were trying to make a setup that's designed for two mics, work for three mics, and uh, it just didn't work as good sound quality wise, so I'll sound like I'm in the distance every once in a while, but other than that, it's fine. And we're going to listen to that interview right after this. Hey guys, we told y'all last week that we were going to have a special guest down to the house, David Flora from Blurry Photos. David, welcome aboard. Hey, how's it going, guys? David is a... (laughs) The excitement level is way more than I expected. That's right. So <laughs> Dave, David Hey guys, in.
2: I'm I'm real happy to be here.
0: <laughs> oh, God. So, so David comes down from Chicago. He's a huge UK fan like us, so we decided to watch our beloved Wildcats today get beat by Tennessee. So as I've informed Gosh. David, he's not allowed at the house on game day anymore.
2: That's right. It's he's, a one time deal. <laughs> let's let's make the best of it while we're
0: here. <laughs> so David, I, I think we probably have a lot of mutual listeners. Uh, But for those who haven't listened to your show yet, Blurry Photos, how do you describe the show? I know some people look at it as paranormal, but you cover a wide gamut. How do you look at the show?
2: I look at it in probably not the best... Probably not the best way because I can't really describe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I should work on that because they say that, you know, elevator pitch and all. <laughs> so I, I cover so much stuff because I, I love all the weird stuff in history. Uh, mysteries of the unknown uh, and the unexplained. Paranormal stuff, conspiracies, um, myths and legends, folklore, things like that. And so I, from from the time I started doing the show in 2012... We, we've covered so many different topics. It's hard to say we are this kind of yeah. show. You know? I think if anybody uh, is familiar with the old In Search Of. Oh, yeah. Uh, In Search Of with uh, Leonard Nimoy. It's sort of a show like that because mm. they covered a lot of uh, – weird topics but it was never like I don't think you could say this is a, sh- a show about Bigfoot this is a show about conspiracy you know they had a lot of stuff on there so yeah it, it's it's pretty much a, a paranormal variety show maybe maybe that's the way to put it yeah
0: I think that's great now I'm going to pin you down in a little bit on some of the subjects that you've covered that are your favorites well let me stretch first
3: <laughs>
2: I wasn't a wrestler
0: in high school
3: oh okay <laughs> good to know <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thing like it just went off the rails, right off the the great, and we've not even been drinking. That's no, so let's go back. You mentioned we've covered, yeah. and when you go back to the beginning of the show, it was you and a co-host, Dave Stegall, and you guys were a completely different show than what you were now. That's true. Um, tell me a little bit about the evolution from where you started to where the show is now.
2: When we started, we were both uh, improvisers in Chicago. We both did improv comedy. We kind of brought that aspect to the topics that we discussed. And and like I said, we had a we have a variety of topics that we've covered on the show. There was comedy that we brought into it, but it, I, I would never say it was a focus of the show. It just sort of. Happened <laughs> organically. <laughs>
3: yeah, well, good. That's sometimes that's the best, you know. Yeah.
2: So mm-hmm. uh, that was that was basically what we tried to do. The show grew into we we took more of that comedy aspect. We would do opening intro sketches. Um, that was a big thing that mm-hmm. kind of I think set set the show apart. But at the same time, a lot of people were like, "What? What am I listening to?" I just clicked on here to learn about like Mothman, and all of a sudden they're they're doing like Dukes of Hazard types <laughs> thing. So, um, so we did. Uh, we we incorporated the comedy and tried to do it without taking away from the information that we brought. And information and research mm-hmm. has always been a big thing that I've wanted to bring to the show and have tried to kind of pride myself on. And so, around uh, right about the end of twenty seventeen, Dave was like. Well, he he had moved out of uh, the area. Uh, we were both in Chicago. He moved to Iowa. And he did that, I think, in 2016. We kept the show going. I uh, did it over Skype and mm-hmm. everything. It was fine. But he he got to the point where he's like, I want to focus on family. I want to do more, you know, have more time uh, to myself and yeah. and to you know spend to to grow. He just got married. So so I Marriage took over ruins the show. Everything. He, it it, ruins everything. everything was derailed. So <laughs> <I> wasn't <laughs> gonna say anything. Um leave right, it so to Jerry. I got I got married right before him, so <laughs> <laughs> so he's got no excuse. Yeah. Um so <laughs> so I kept the show going, but uh, since I didn't have that that partner to to like bounce off of, mm-hmm. you know, to discuss things with, I took the show in a direction of more research and more storytelling and tried to have, you know, a little humor in the the writing of the scripts, mm-hmm. you know, the show scripts that I did I just have a little dry wit and stuff like that. It sounds really pretentious to say, you know, coming from yourself. I tried to to incorporate at least a little humor into it so the stuff's not so dry Why, when you're talking course. about, yeah, history and uh, the, the background of a lot of subjects and, and really focus on the production of the, the show, the music, sound effects, mm-hmm. and uh, the storytelling. So that's that's kind of where the show started and where it ended uh, it, in a lo- long
0: winded nutshell. It really is completely different. And, it I, is, com- yeah. and I commend you on that because, like I said, for our listeners, they'll know that the show was like a uh, Brohio light. Because them guys are completely off off the rails. <laughs> and you guys but you guys had that kind of banter between you, and you would have fun, mm-hmm. which is a similar type show. And now it's more of a pleasing terrors or a lore type show right. to where it's, you know, you getting the story out there, but there's a little bit of sarcasm thrown in, and a little bit of, you know, but not enough to where people would say it's a comedy show. It's just enough to keep it interesting. So yeah. I like the twist on it. I think it's it's very
3: well, well yeah. Done. I mean, how many times can you Say, Bigfoot's hairy. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You got to put a little twist on it every now and then, right? That's
0: you gotta right. Try to keep it fresh. Bigfoot's got a lot of hair. <laughs> that's the twist. Hmm. So talk about, for me, some of the topics that you've covered that are some of your favorites. Maybe some of the ones that, until you started doing the research, you really were, maybe the research took you in a whole different direction and just took you down some rabbit holes you didn't expect. Or
2: Boy, I mean, anymore, that's that that's about the norm, because when you get into the research of it uh, you, all the things that you've heard are are it's just kind of a surface level of what's actually mm. you know behind the story and what leads up to it and what it's about and so for me, a lot of the topics can fall in, in, into that bucket I would say what my well one of my all-time favorite subjects is Spring Hill Jack that's the uh, victorian era like a woman assaulter, basically. A yeah. <laughs>
3: I mean, woman assaulter? Assault, okay. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. He, he
2: jumped out of alleys, like scratched at, at women's bodices, breathed oh. fire in their face, and then bounded away. Oh. Uh, it's awful, I realize, just saying, hey, one of my favorite subjects is a guy who assaulted women. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> Let's see <laughs> not because of that, yeah, um it's just a weird thing because nobody ever figured out who it was, really, or they you know they they have an idea, but they don't really know who who did it, and the descriptions of it and what the guy did the the other um I'm, I'm really entertaining to Ninja. Um, (laughs) The other aspect of it, I think the thing that I like better, is that not only would he uh, assault women, which is is not a laughing matter, but he would jump up to authority figures, cops, uh, uh, captains in the army, things like that, and just smack the hell out of them and just run away. (laughs) And they never caught him. (laughs) So I... (laughs) I always thought that was that was funny. Um, it
3: is. That's, did we we never knew about that, did we? Yeah. He oh. liked
0: he liked to jab people with needles. And
3: oh my gosh! Things like that. And what a creepster!
0: So it was. It's it's
2: just such a weird yeah, guy that in, in the so whole weird. you know world of it. So. Yeah,
3: yeah. I can just totally see him jumping out in and slapping some police guy right upside the I don't know why that's funny, but it is.
0: <laughs> can, can I tell you what my favorite episode you did was? Sure, La Girona. Oh, yeah. I loved that one because you guys basically did it as a story of, um, I mean, you were doing voices the whole time. It was basically a guy comes to town and he's interviewing this guy and then this cowboy and this lady. But everybody had a different voice and it was done completely different than your other shows were at the time. It's true. And it was very entertaining. I, well, I loved that's it. so well, cool. You.
2: Yeah, so some of the shows we tried to... Just break from the norm mm. and and try something different. And that was one of them. That one we we called it like narrative, um, in, like informational narrative or something like that, where it was basically a uh, a half hour long or whatever, however long story mm-hmm. where you followed a guy who's looking for Law Yorona. As as the guy's journey progresses, you get you know different scenes that you learn information about the topic and. And then, you know, it, it, it's a story in itself and also the the information. So we tried something a little different with that. And along the same lines, one of our first kind of forays into that was the Civil War Ghosts episode. And that's another oh, yeah, one yeah, yeah. of my favorites, too. Um, because instead of just talking about Ghosts of the Civil War and presenting, you know, hist- historical information, which everybody has, you know, you, you've got so many options for that. We took a Ken Burns-type approach, uh how Ken Burns does documentaries and and put it into this podcast form. So we'd have kind of quotes that we made up in between of like uh information in and and then information followed by ghost stories mm-hmm. uh and then back to kind of made up improvised quotes from characters we just kind of came up with on the spot and stuff and it it turned out better than I thought it would, and it was a lot of fun to do. And, and to this day, it's one of the ones I can go back to and listen to oh,
3: very cool. over and
2: over, and you know, not not feel bad about myself for critiquing.
3: Everything oh, that yeah, I that's so wonderful, though.
2: So yeah, so those are those are a couple of uh, my favorite ones. I, I I didn't really answer your question on which one has taken me uh, a different direction. Probably, well, I'll give you an example of. This is this is a cop out. My last episode that I put out as ever recording, I uh, was Diglaka, the German, the Nazi bail. And going into it, you you hear this is a, a a weapon of mass destruction. It's a it's a time travel device. The German, if the Germans had made it, they could have won the war like immediately. And then you 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 get into the information. You start reading about it and. First of all, like they couldn't even figure out what it did if it even existed. So to say it's... and then the the time travel aspect came from some author like in the the '90s or early 2000s who just said, you know, I think I heard my dad uh, talking <laughs> to this guy who overheard this guy say, you know, oh my goodness. And he just mentioned this yeah. thing like, oh, and then we looked into the past and it's like. <laughs> And now now it's a time travel device because this guy (laughs) said he heard this from this guy who heard... So most of these subjects, you go into thinking one thing, and then when you really kind of parse it out, there's a very different picture that's that's painted of it. The the Glock
0: is just kind of the latest example. I'm not going to lie to you. That episode, and not just yours, but when I've heard anybody else talk about it, it's completely over my head. (laughs) I mean, when they start getting into the... uh, the scientific part of what yes, this is supposed to do, and then, then they started wearing gloves, and then they put it in this room, and then they destroyed this room mm-hmm. and moved it to a different... I'm like, I'm completely lost as to what the hell's going on here.
2: Yeah, yeah, they and the, this is something you probably have seen in a lot of the episodes, but when they start throwing out the physics terms and stuff, then you kind of know... Then you kind of know that you're in with somebody who's maybe in over there. Oh, too. yeah, definitely. <laughs> they love, People love throwing out physics when whenever they they don't want
0: you to ask questions.
3: <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs>
0: so well, you told me that you're pretty boring, that you've never really had any paranormal experiences yourself. That is, that
2: is very true. All of that is very true.
3: <laughs> Why did you have to put the boring part in there
0: for? <laughs> he said it, not me. I just repeated it. <laughs> He's an open book. So... What got you interested in this aspect of doing? It? If you were going to do a podcast, mm-hmm. you've got a theater background, you've got an improv background. What made you to do a, a show that covered unexplained mysteries and and paranormal stuff? Uh,
2: as as opposed to like doing something on like the theater or a yeah. movie, a movie show or something. Uh, fair question. I I've always been interested in folklore and mythology. That's one mm-hmm. of the one of the first books I, I ever checked out in uh, the elementary school library was a, a Greek mythology book, and I love the monsters in it. Mm-hmm. I love the stories. And uh, I think it, it must have been I wouldn't say I'm a big like horror fan, uh like in terms of movies and, and things like that, but the creepy aspect is a it's a great motivator to want to mm-hmm. find out more. Mm-hmm. It makes you very curious. And um when when I uh, first moved to Chicago back in maybe two thousand five, two thousand six, I was able to work at a job where I could listen to podcasts, listen to Mysterious Universe. Mm-hmm. Those guys had had great uh, discussions on this stuff, got me a little more interested in it. Listen to stuff they don't want you to know, and. Mm-hmm. Just, I think it was their Diatlov Pass episode that really hooked me, and, and of course theirs is great because of the music that's under yeah. there is automatically uh, creeptastic, and when they're talking about you know this this crazy mystery and and all the aspects of it and you know your skin starts uh, getting goosebumps and hair raises and I'm like. First of all, it's very entertaining. Second of all, I want to know more about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to see is this stuff uh, real? Is fluoride bad? Is, you know, are GMOs bad? Is there a new world order? Mm-hmm. Like, and so it kind of prompted me to start doing some of the research, and then kind of sharing what I found out uh, after that. Now, the podcast itself started after uh, my friend Dave and I. We had been doing improv together, um, and we had done another podcast that was not it was it was basically about nothing it, mm-hmm. there were, was no specific sp- uh, subject uh, but we started talking about this weird stuff on that show and then we were like you know what we should do this on our own show like you yeah know, why it's, not it's fun to learn this together so that's kind of where where that came from just a curiosity to know more about it
0: so normally we get our uh, guests to tell us Paranormal story, something that you know of or maybe it happened to your parent. Uh, do you have a story lined up for us that you could possibly share with us?
2: I, I've got a an anti-story. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course you do. Nothing, um, nothing that I know of has really happened to my parents, unless I'm blocking it out for some reason. Nothing has really happened to me that I can't uh, either attribute to a dream mm-hmm. or just attribute to my memory kind of going bad. But just recently, uh, last year, probably about this time last year, I did an episode on the Limp Mansion, which is a supposedly haunted uh, mansion in St. Louis. And I'm within driving distance of St. Louis. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go check this out, see if there, you know, is anything to it. Uh, They rent rooms in this place. So I thought that was doubly cool that I could, you know, stay there and really experience it so i did I, I rented a room drove down to st louis stayed the night uh got there just as they were ending lunch so i got to have lunch at the place and then uh the guy got me checked in and said okay well if if there's nothing else we're we're all heading out and i i said what do you mean you're all heading out <laughs> and he said well the staff leaves at you know five o'clock every day and well, we dang. come back in the morning and I was like, so nobody's going to be here? And he's like, no, no, staff's staff's gone. You're the only one staying here.
3: <laughs>
2: and so I was like, jackpot. <laughs> I was like, sure, I'll stay in a haunted mansion by myself. He's probably behind the counter going through the drawers.
3: <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh.
2: So everybody leaves, and, and I'm, I'm there. Uh, I actually went out to dinner and then went uh, far west uh, – St. Louis. I mean, I don't think you could even call it St. Louis anymore, where I went out to because I was checking out Zombie Road. That was a supposedly, you know, paranormal hotspot.
0: Yeah, we did a little uh, mini episode on Zombie Road. So you're familiar mm-hmm.
2: with that stuff. I drove up to the entrance of it because it's, you know, you can't drive on it anymore. But um, I drove up to the entrance, saw some deer. Not not very exciting, but they were <laughs> better than nothing. It would be if you was a hunter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I drove out to. Um, uh, Bell Fountain Cemetery and oh. and did that uh, did that road in between there, which is another one where they say you know there's a phantom hiker and a kid that's supposed to run out in the middle of the street and then looks like he gets hit by you and then you turn around nothing's there and nothing happened it was not a very well maintained road so besides the 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 bumps and mm-hmm. the, the ghost of my muffler uh, <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't really anything <laughs> to that stuff so came back to the hotel it was about eleven o'clock at night. It, it was very creepy being in a completely abandoned, haunted oh uh, mansion. But nothing nothing really happened. I'll give you a little background about the, the place so you have an idea. This family uh, from uh, that lived in St. Louis around the turn of the 1900s became one of the biggest, it was about the eighth or ninth biggest brewery in the country. They made Falstaff beer and and limp limp beer is the the name was the name of the beer and it was this german family a lot of kids and um they they eventually lived in this mansion and then right about uh 1904 the the 1904 world's fair was coming up the um patriarch of the family william limp was working with um adolphus bush who who was you know it wasn't actually as big as Limp at the time, but was right next door. Mm-hmm. Brew and Budweiser, Bush and, and Limp were going in on on the uh, 1904 World's World's Fair to get it, you know, magnificent. Basically, it's a World's Fair, so that was a real strain on on the guy. The guy was going through a lot of like health issues, mm-hmm. a lot of depression. His son, one of his uh, uh, younger sons, passed away suddenly, and then Pabst who was up in Milwaukee, but was his friend, a real, real close friend of, of uh, William Limp, passed away like right after. Oh, dang. And so he had these two people that were close to him die in a in a span of like a month. These stresses were, were getting to him, and he took his own life.
3: Oh, my gosh.
2: And so after that, about a couple years, I think, after that, his wife, Julia, passed away from cancer. They died right... Like, she was in one room. He had died in the room next to it. I stayed in the room she died in. The the, the room he, he had shot himself in was the parlor of that room. So I was, I mean, I was right in the middle of it. And so the kids took over. And the oldest one was kind of a playboy. Didn't really, you know, didn't really take it that mm-hmm, seriously. Mm-hmm. Tried to do his best. He was in some scandals and stuff. Then Prohibition hit. And he couldn't... He couldn't take it. He shot himself, and the floor below. Oh my God! And so people started saying, you know, is there something something going on with this family? That's four mm-hmm. deaths of the family, not a very long time. Then the youngest daughter, it was said, she was found that she had shot herself. Now the thing about that one, she wasn't in the house. She had she was living with a, a, her husband, and it was very very sketchy uh, how it all went down. So in the in the intervening years since it it all happened people have gone from thinking it was suicide to foul play by the husband and i get in i get into all this stuff in the um, in my episode i did a two part episode on it then you fast forward to 1949 and one of the only children left charles was living in the house they'd already sold the business off he was basically the only one in the house there were a couple servants that lived in a house out back and his servants came in one day and, and found him. He had shot himself. Oh, my
3: gosh. Right,
2: pretty much right where I had eaten dinner. So,
3: <laughs> wow, that's so
2: depressing. They probably have claimed it since then, since that was the 40s. I mean, I hope so. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> I never <laughs> some know. Renovating. So that was like, there, there were three suicides in the house. Uh, the mother mm-hmm. had died of cancer uh, in there. And it's just kind of wrought with all this... Um, Haunted history and and tales. People think they had seen a. They called him the monkey faced boy, Uh, Zeke the monkey faced boy. They thought they saw him in an attic window when they're walking, you know, along the street. Mm -hmm. And the whispers are that he was an illegitimate son of William and a maid. He died when he was sixteen, so the story goes. They kept him up there because you know they were high high society. Oh,
3: they didn't want nobody to know. Didn't
2: want anybody yeah to know it was the gilded age. So and they were they were. They they had enough money to burn a wet mule at the time. Mm. It was it was crazy how rich they were, and it all fell apart. You know, suicide after suicide yeah. after death after prohibition, like everything, it all just fell apart. So that's why you don't really hear about limp beer these days. But so uh, I, I I stayed in this this mansion. It was very creepy. People are uh, said that you're supposed to be able to hear. The gunshot, or a gunshot, you know, at, at a certain point, uh, either in the night or in the early morning, said that you could hear dog, a dog barking, thought maybe it was the uh, the ghost of Charles's dog, there were shadow people that are said to be seen walking through the halls, and then the monkey face boy, of course. I I didn't uh, I didn't hear any of that didn't see any of it didn't sleep well because it was uh, there's not central air <laughs> and it's right by the interstate and like it's hot it's loud mm. uh, it was very comfortable it wasn't yeah. you know I, I'm not trying to knock the place I think if anybody gets a chance to go and check it out they they absolutely should but um, uh, I think I get very prissy around bedtime
0: um, <laughs> was you, you was you by yourself I was by myself yeah oh
3: my gosh yeah. I cannot do that there was no way I would never. <laughs>
0: It's mm-hmm. Like a mini version of The Shining or something.
3: No, oh my gosh! <laughs> it kind of is.
2: I had my recorder. I recorded a lot. I put it on the episode and stuff. M- listening back to all the recordings didn't, didn't really hear anything. Any EVPs or anything? So, you know, but that was fun. I mean, it was it was a great experience to do. I'd do it a, again in a heartbeat. So
3: they must have all thought they had to leave with the staff too. Then <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: they all left. Like, no, we're they're took a, out took of a here.
0: Night off. <laughs> I've talked about this with the union. I'm not staying that time.
2: <laughs>
3: gosh, they're so brave to do that, though. Oh, my gosh. Oof.
2: Ghost union. Local, yeah, local 666. Remember yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, member the Ghost Guild. Yeah. So, before we wrap things up, tell people how they can find you. Obviously not Twitter, because you don't check Twitter.
2: Well, that's what I've said. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm not often on Twitter, but I, I do reply and and from time to time, I'll, I'll do stuff. It's blurry underscore photos. But you can find uh, all my stuff at blurryphotos.org. Uh, I've got archives of the show on there. It's uh, all the past shows you can check out. Um, I have, of course, on iTunes and Stitcher and all that good stuff. Google Podcasts now. It's not mm-hmm. Play anymore, right? It's Google Podcasts. I have Podcasts, no I idea can't what with does anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, sometimes people say, well, your episode's on it, Brent. I'm like... I- I don't I don't have to do I didn't, I didn't know <laughs> didn't know.
2: Um, yeah if you just search for Blurry Photos Podcast, you can find the stuff. I, and I'll tell you, I like to I I like to tear apart some stories when it's necessary. For the most part, I like telling the story, getting that like wonder, the creepiness, all that mm-hmm. good stuff, because that's the good good mm-hmm. part of the story, mm-hmm. right? But then, you know, if if there's some glaring misinformation or disinformation that's out there, then I'll go in and kind of take it one by one and say, here's what, you know, people have said about this. Here's the actual evidence. Here's this. And I save that to the end. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's the kind of show uh, to to put on. And
0: it's uh it's fun. So there's a huge backlog. It goes all the way back to 2012. So, and it's a big variety. Like I said, you guys... When it was you and Dave together, it was it was every show was great. Now that's just you. Every show's great. It's just mm-hmm. a different type of show. So yeah,
3: absolutely. It really
0: is a fascinating show all the way around. I'm not just saying you. it because you're sitting here. I've, <laughs> you know, I've always felt that way. So it took us a long time to do this. We were talking about doing something together for, I think, almost two years now. It's true. Yeah. And finally, we just made it happen. So you're the first guest we've actually had. In studio? In studio.
2: Wow. There you go.
0: <laughs> and so I brought a cake.
3: And, and it was the bomb. It was so good. Oh, my that's, gosh.
0: That's that's setting the precedence. Mm. It's, it's so delicious. But it doesn't take away the fact that you caused Kentucky to lose today. Well, oh, come so. on
3: now. I think we need to blame that on the refs. <laughs> Just saying.
2: <laughs> and zip. I've got a striped shirt
0: on. <laughs> Dave, it's been fun, man. We appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Thank you, guys. And uh, looking forward to what the future holds for blurry photos. So am I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for all that you do. We hope that uh, you enjoyed this extra long episode. We hope you enjoyed David Flora. And uh, please check out his podcast, Blurry Photos, if you haven't already listened. It's uh, it's an awesome show. I think you'll enjoy it. All the way from the beginning up, you'll never run out of stories, that's no, for sure. No, not at
3: all. He's a very, and a very nice guy. We were <clears throat> honored to meet him and have him. Over yesterday so
0: yeah it was a blast so we we uh, appreciate it uh go check out the the new merchandise but keep in mind we got all these shows coming up Live events. We're getting ready to kick it off after after three <clears throat> weeks from now. The first one kicks off, and two sold out shows in Houston, uh, Indianapolis. After that, Bobby Mackey's has one ticket left. One. So if there's one of somebody out there who wants to just come and be a part of the group, and you only need one ticket, snatch it up because there's only yeah. one left.
3: Come on, guys! We can't wait to meet you all. We're so so excited. And It's so weird because it feels like we were just literally getting this off the ground. Six months ago, it felt like. But here we are. We're getting ready to start. And we are excited.
0: So we'll talk to you guys soon.
3: Yeah. Have a blessed week. We love you guys.